Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without a lot of geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about tech that's important to us and important to you. Speaking of important to us, we want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your bank. Even if you do, though, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you are in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important to banks, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they'll help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net, call 225-308-3700, or email them info at cardinalcap.net. So each week we like to start off the show with news and updates, and sometimes we do follow-ups. This is one of those follow-ups where last week we talked about Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard, and we wondered what would Sony do with the PlayStation? Well, here we go. Sony's announced that they are buying Bungie for $3.6 billion. That's right. It did not take Sony very long to react. We kind of wondered how long would it take, and it took less than a week. They ran out and said, okay, let's go buy Bungie. It's gonna, what are they going to get for Bungie? Inside of Bungie, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because technically Bungie did create the Halo franchise, but whenever Bungie and Microsoft parted ways, Microsoft kept Halo. And so Bungie doesn't own the rights to Halo. Bungie's also made Destiny, which is a very popular game, as well as Destiny 2, the sequel. But... They're not huge revenue drivers. They they are big numbers, but I'm not sure if they're $3.6 billion numbers. Sony PlayStation CEO came out and said, we're starting to go multi-platform. So we're going to have an aggressive roadmap with live services, and we're going to have the opportunity to work with and particularly learn from brilliant people at Bungie, which sounds a lot like they're going to try and create something similar to Microsoft's Game Pass. Oh, you, you have to think so. That this this has to be a attempt to keep up because otherwise they got outpaced pretty hard here. But even then, Activision Blizzard has a lot of really valuable IP inside of it. And Bungie doesn't? And so, okay, yeah, Sony did something. But this really doesn't feel like... There, there was no equal equivalent move for Sony to make. They might have done the best that they could, but this still isn't great. So you're saying that a purchase of a company for $3.6 billion is not going to quite stand up to the purchase of a company of $75 billion? Especially because this feels knee-jerk. 
Well, as it turns out, there's an, at least one analyst out there that's just saying how much of a desperation this this was vastly overpaying for for Bungie. Right. His analysis comes from whenever EA bought uh, Respawn three or four years ago. That Respawn, uh, they bought it for $700 million because Respawn was generating about $700 million a year. Well, Bungie's only doing about $200 million a year. So if you keep the same logic, Sony would buy them for $200 million. But Sony bought them for $3.6 billion which is a factor of 15 difference. He's not quite that skeptical. He, he does think the, the number is a little lower, but boy, that's a huge difference in what, what this one guy's evaluation is versus what they were actually paying. Yeah, that makes a, a tremendous amount of difference when you have that much discrepancy where everybody is thinking, okay, $75 billion is a good deal and 3.6 billion is way overpriced that's that's a sharp contrast yeah it, it also makes sense when you view it through the lens of sony said we need something now it has to happen soon and so if you want to make want that headline to go through immediately you're not trying to sit there and negotiate then yeah you do add on a little extra so that you get your win in the moment and so this is it's not nearly i'm not nearly as optimistic about the sony buying bungie as i was about microsoft buying activision blizzard well speaking of microsoft buying the activision blizzard as we kind of speculated a week ago we said the federal government was going to really want to take a look see at this and the ftc chairwoman lena khan has come out and said oh yeah we're going to look over this deal real closely. Yes, Lena Khan, who we have called out before on this show as someone who is specifically skeptical of big tech mergers. She was brought into the FTC by the Biden administration to exactly do this, to look at these giant tech conglomerates looking to conglomerate even further. And so she is and her department will take their time. They will look through all of this and uh, it'll be very fascinating to see what their reaction to all of this is. Ms. Khan is quoted as saying, while the current merger boom has delivered massive fees for investment banks, evidence suggests that many Americans historically have lost out with diminished opportunity, higher prices, lower wage and lagging innovation. That does not sound like somebody who's got a ringing endorsement for this deal. She even said she would not be shy by taking cases to court. You lose all the shots you don't take. Oh boy, those are fighting words. So this is going to be very interesting to see what happens here because it also could potentially signal their views about future mergers. That if they go out and fight here, do other large tech giants take a pause before they try and eat someone else because if you have to sit there and fight the federal government for an extra five years and it has to play out in court maybe it's not quite as worth as much anymore so that'll be really interesting to see how what comes of this because there's gonna be a lot of repercussions that ripple out beyond just this one event 
it really is going to be fascinating to watch this play because now does Microsoft stand back and say, hey, look, if you turn us down for this deal, well, you got to go turn down Sony's deal, too, even though we've discussed how widely different the, the scales of the purchases are. It's still, hey, you can't if you're going to shut us down, don't you got to be if you can be mean to me, be mean to him, too. I I don't think that the FTC is currently looking at the Sony deal just because it's it is that much smaller. It's also curious is the logic from the FTC that well Microsoft's acquirement of Activision Blizzard forced the Sony deal or it created an environment wherever Sony felt like it had to respond and so it is increasing monopolistic behavior, you know, you're or making your other people gobble up other companies. We generally don't want mega corporations. We're, we're not usually worse if everyone just sits around and just amoebas the other ones and just end up with three total whenever we used to have dozens or hundreds. Maybe that's part of the evidence against Microsoft here. Uh, I am not an M&A lawyer. I do not play one on TV. This is pure speculation, but we will definitely keep following the story because it is super interesting. That's right. And that's what we do. We like to talk about the things that are important to us, but also going to be important to you, especially if you're a, if you're an Xbox person. This is an important story to you. So another really popular acquisition happened here in the past week. The whole world has gone crazy for a Wordle. I actually started playing it the other day for the first time ever. Then the New York Times went out and bought it. Yes, they did. The New York Times is doing their own monopolistic behaviors where they have their normal digital platform and they have their New York Times game subscription that hangs off the side of that. They said, what is this? People are playing some online word game that's popular. Buy it. It's ours now. We're going to eventually they said they're not going to do it immediately. They're not going to put it behind a paywall at first. But you have to think that they didn't spend low seven figures just to have this shiny new toy set on their website, it's going to generate profit for them. For the immediate future, it's not going behind the paywall, but you can believe that they're going to have to put some ads on it or something that's going to have to generate some kind of revenue. Or maybe they just let it continue to grow to get more and more people hooked on it. So when they do slap the paywall on front of it, you're going to want to pay to get to those New York Times games. That's um, exactly what I think is going to happen here. That's if you do it too early, people aren't hooked yet. Everyone likes it, but if they like the fact that it's free, whereas, you know, you give them another three months, another six months, let it keep growing. You have all this additional buzz because the New York Times bought it and people said, oh, well, you know, it maybe it's going from fad to actually good. They have to be very careful about when exactly they make this shift happen because too early and, and you cut it off, you choke it down and no one wants to, no new people are going to join for it. Because that, that game section that they has, that's where they put the, the crossword puzzle. That's where they put the spelling bee. That's where they have a lot of stuff happening. And so it, it fits very much in their brand, but they really have to thread this needle carefully. Also, be very curious to see: Do they create an actual smartphone app for the game? Because right now it's just for your browser for a PC or a Mac game kind of thing. There's a, a, a fake Wordle game, W O R D L E, with an exclamation point behind it that you can download. 
And there was a story where some guys had 200 million downloads for this game that everyone thinks they're getting Wordle, but they're not getting Wordle. They're getting Wordle with an exclamation mark. The New York Times will eventually put it on their games app, is my guess. What did they do until then? It's hard to say. They could do a lot of different things with it, whether or not they link to it from their website. Is it, does it become wordle.newyorktimes.com or does it still stay in the same place? I think there's definitely still a couple different paths this could take, but a lot of people are very excited about it. And I think the design of it is also brilliant. It's as a word game itself, it's pretty good. But the visualization and the ability to instantly share to social media, that's wherever I think that this game really figured it out. Because there's dozens of different word games, but that you have this very concise image which shows how well you did and you can share it. That's the genius here. And it's only one a day. You can't sit there and... and play it for 12 hours straight you play one time and now you got to wait till tomorrow mm-hmm. and and so you know it's well it's it's not a big huge time suck i mean it's more like a mental floss and then you get it going back to doing whatever you were doing it's a real interesting concept that they created where yes like you were saying the visualization oh i got three greens and two yellows you know oh, oh five grays dog on it you know just really fascinating it's so simple. It's so easy. Everybody can do it until you can't. Yeah, I think uh, uh, there were a lot of periphery decisions around the core gameplay loop that were very, very good. And this one guy sitting in his Brooklyn apartment who I think launched it like in October or November, like very recently, that one guy all of a sudden it went from being just some dude in a Brooklyn apartment to being some dude in a very, very nice Brooklyn apartment. Or he's at least got nicer things in his Brooklyn apartment <laughs> with, with his low seven-figure deal. So we do want to also talk about some Democratic lawmakers who have come up with a bill that will ban surveillance advertising. On this show, we talk a lot about how Congress needs to do more to makes laws on the internet, on advertising, on privacy, and all these sorts of topics, and on data. And so some some people in Congress are trying to do something, so we figured we'd shout them out for it. Yeah, we, you know, we've talked about the GDPR, the California Protection Rights Act, several different things like that. And, and we've asked Congress to do something like that here in the United States. And finally, they've came up with the Banning Surveillance Advertising Act. One representative from California, one representative from Illinois, along with Senator Booker from New Jersey, have put together a bill that would limit online advertisers to targeting audiences by approximate location while allowing contextual ads keyed to the bulk of a page. So the whole point here is that they are drawing a limit on how precisely they can target your location. For example, they could target a city, a town, a village, or something like that, but they could not target a zip code or other subsections. They're not going to sit there and say, oh, well, this this advertising in this neighborhood, a named neighborhood in a a town, you've drilled way deep, or even to the 
to which street somebody lives on, which Google does that right now, and Facebook and Twitter and all the other social media platforms, they know your exact address and they can sell ads based upon that. This ad is saying, hey, look, we know this guy, he, he's, he lives in Baton Rouge. You want an ad for a guy who lives in Baton Rouge? We'll sell you that ad. Yeah, this, this idea of micro-targeting was a big deal in the 2016 election with Facebook. People were being micro-targeted with ads down to that very precise level. And so Facebook has since changed some of the exact mechanics of that. But as you said, there are still a lot of people who advertise with hyper-local data. And so the idea behind the bill is that this is unseemly data collection and tracking that fuels disinformation, discrimination, and privacy abuses. And so they are trying to step out and provide some shield so that we have a little bit less surveillance advertising. The Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, which is a Washington-based think tank, they, they didn't really like the bill very much. They're saying that banning targeted ads would make online advertising much less effective, so advertisers will pay less. And those who, who like to use those ads, including the developers and media companies, they're going to earn less money. Yeah, I'm not super sympathetic to the whole what will the Googles and Facebooks of the world do next? <laughs> oh no, they make slightly less billions of dollars. But ultimately, they point out here that it's unlikely this goes anywhere. It has some support, but not enough to actually go over the hump, not by a lot. You know, so if this bill, if a mom and pop shop some little a bicycle shop here in Baton Rouge is trying to sell ads and they want to sell ads to somebody who lives in, in a more affluent neighborhood. Well, maybe it hurts that bicycle shop because they can't drill their ads directly to the affluent neighborhood as opposed to just blanketing all of Baton Rouge. Okay, I can see where you're going to hurt that small shop. But the company that makes the most off of this is the Googles, is the Facebooks. And so they're the ones who are not going to be affected. They're So instead of a $3 trillion company, Facebook would be a $2.5 trillion company. And that's assuming that Facebook loses any money at all. They'll probably still keep growing, just not at the same exorbitant rates. These These legislators trying to reduce that targeted advertising in, in a privacy optimization, I think is a good idea. I think the U.S. needs a GDPR of our own. But like you said a little while ago, I, I got a better chance of winning Powerball than something like this actually happening. Yeah. And even if this exact thing was actually going to happen, I don't love the exact execution of it. As you pointed out, you know, I like the idea. I like the thought process. I kind of like where they're headed, but I, there's just a whole lot of things that would get dredged up from this that just aren't done well, and it needs more thought. We really need broad, incredibly large, well-thought-out architecture around all this, and this just isn't that. Yeah, I mean, let's just copy and paste the GDPR and, and use it here. It's kind of working over there, isn't it? 
We'll talk about how it's working in the next segment. Absolutely. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider, delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the Southeast United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 100 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services team can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strengths. This has become a proven formula, so proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show today or you want to go back and hear us as a podcast, check out any previous episodes available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Music, Amazon Music, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe to get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show, you have any suggestions, or you have a question, shoot us a text, 225-255-0431. If we use your question as the question of the week, we will send you a free Tech Gumbo mug. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.